I had a client. I, I said, how can I help you today? And she said, I don't know how you can help me today because my daughter died two weeks ago. And I just was so stunned. I've never been stunned per se. Like people can tell me anything about anything and I can, but the way she said it to me, but I also believe Lisa that that was the moment of divine intervention. I feel something was put in front of me and stunned me enough that it caught my attention. So I looked at this woman, I said, okay, well, uh, all right, well, you know, I asked her to go face down. So I stepped out of the room, let her go face down. And when I came back, I thought, okay, I'm going to have to reach somewhere within my soul to make something happen for this woman to feel better. Welcome to the Story Attic. I'm your host, Lisa Ellis. On this podcast, we help others share their stories, personal stories of love, despair, happiness, intrigue, adventure, and more. Often surprising, sometimes funny, sometimes sad, occasionally puzzling, rarely dull, and regularly tantalizing. Join us as we step into the story attic. If you enjoy our show or would like to be a guest telling your story, please drop us a line at thestoryatticpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at hashtag thestoryattic, where you will also find podcast extras like photos of our guests, giveaways, and more. Enjoy the show. I can say exactly where I've been to the brink and back again. I've reached the end to begin. Through the glass, the future's clear. Beyond the doubts, in spite of fears, pushing past all the tears, breathing in the days and years. It's time to break through the roof and put the past behind. To live the dreams are stored away In the attic of my mind The attic of my mind Hey, it's Lisa. This week I'm doing something a little bit different. For a while now, I've been trying to put down a story about a very close friend of mine named Heather who passed away a couple of years ago unexpectedly. In doing so, I've been struggling through feelings of sadness, grief, and regret, interspersed with joyful memories of her, and more than a few chuckles. She was a friend I met as we both embarked on our new career paths to become massage therapists back in 2001. Our lives crisscrossed for many years, and for the last five or six, we had grown closer than ever. And then she was gone. As I was working through these memories and feelings, I heard from my former spot colleague and friend, Merelda Rodriguez, who had been listening in support of the podcast. She recently shifted her massage practice into working with grieving clients and holding space for them as they feel the full spectrum of things and work through the complexities. This approach and her technique reminded me of Heather's compassion and empathy as a massage therapist and human being. The change in her career focus has given Merelda a renewed lease in a field where she was beginning to experience burnout. But it's not the first time in her life that burnout resulted in career shift. In this episode, we talk about how both major and minor events can bring about grief, how this deep set of emotions presents itself in the body, and how we can heal ourselves and help others. On the next episode, I will share the story of my career change too, and the 18-year sistership I had with my friend Heather. If you yourself are grieving a loss right now of any kind, I'm sending love out to you. In the meantime, I hope you will enjoy my conversation with Merelda, and that it may help you to care for someone else or allow yourself to feel safe in your grief. With that, here is part one of two, Good Grief. Morelda, tell me a little bit about how you got to the place where you are offering grief massage as um, a modality in your practice. Sure. I've been a massage therapist now for 22 years. And starting out, why did I even become a massage therapist? I was in corporate America 
at the time when I went to school, I was in a company that was going through a, a breakup, if you will. So it wasn't a good time. And I didn't want to have to only be in that toxic environment. So I became a massage therapist. It gave me something to do in the evenings. And people thought I was doing it for a hobby. But I loved it so much that I learned a lot of things about creating a business, right? So I was in my happy place. I then happened to be in New York. I was working in New York and continued on. I moved from Atlanta to New York, continued on, did massage in the evenings and weekends, did corporate HR by day. However, it got to the point where the company that I worked for in New York, I was really chasing a promotion. I wanted to be in a certain space in that company. It was going to mean a lot to my resume. It was going to mean a lot to, you know, put it on LinkedIn and all this other stuff. And so I chased it and chased it and even took a kind of lateral promotion as a preparation I was told it's a preparation to get to this place. However, I also changed four managers in two years. None of them wanted to agree to what their predecessor had agreed to. So now you're kind of thinking you're on a, imagine, imagine, uh, you know, it's kind of like, you know, when you go on a highway and there's suddenly these construction signs and you have to veer to the right and veer to the left just so you don't hit something because they've suddenly changed the lanes. So it's kind of like that. So imagine you're at full speed, you're trying to do what you're doing, and now you're trying not to hit the wall because somebody just suddenly changed it, right? Mm -hmm. And this kept happening. Um, and I did the best I could within the constraints I was given. But then when you feel like you're in quicksand and you can't move the right way because you're sinking no matter what. So I couldn't be successful at anything I did. Um, and so I had never in my entire career failed. And all I could see was a big failure coming down the line because I couldn't succeed at this job. And it, I started burning out because I was beyond anything I had ever tried before. And I was getting very little guidance. So I started burning out. And um, I lived on Long Island. I worked in Manhattan, which is about an hour and a half commute, hour and 15 minutes, right, on a good day. So. I was spending about two and a half to three hours on the train, working about 14 hours, 12 to 14, sometimes 15 hours in the uh, office in Manhattan, coming home and just not even knowing where to turn. Should I take a shower first? Should I eat first? Should I do laundry first? Should I, what should I do first? I was right? going to say, wouldn't you go to bed at that point? <laughs> you would. You would think, but I mean... Some days, I didn't even know that I could sleep. And and honestly, Lisa, I started eating, uh, emotionally eating to cope. So I would brush my teeth. I would go to bed, get out of bed, go to the kitchen, eat cookies that I had bought, which I normally don't even really eat cookies. I don't really care for them. And then I'd wonder why I was eating cookies. Then I would go brush my teeth again. And get into bed. And this is what ultimately I had a panic attack on the on the train. I thought I was having a heart attack. And by this time, I was at the height of people pleasing. I was pleasing my dad. I was pleasing my managers. I was pleasing everybody but me. And that panic attack really had me thinking I no longer wanted to be in this job. I no longer wanted to have, because you see my mom died of a heart attack. So I did, actually wondered can I, can when I, I stop you for one second, how did you, how did you know you were having a panic attack? How do you, how do you, how did you identify? Because, because I couldn't, as the train was taking off from Long Beach, 
I couldn't breathe. And my chest had this crushing feeling. And I started to feel really warm. And my mind was going in a hundred places. And I was even thinking, should I tell this woman next to me to dial 911? And then I was like, no, I don't really want to say anything to her. Like, why, you know, why would I think I don't want to say anything to this woman? Because I'm disturbing her. Mm. <laughs> why do we think that way? You know, so uh, that that crushing. And so as the train left Long Beach and left and went over the water towards Island Park Station, uh, now we're over the water. And there's no 911 over the water. You, you, either you're having a heart attack or you're not, right? But as we got to Island Park, as we crossed over the water, the feeling, the crushing feeling dissipated. Hmm. And I was like, oh, okay, that was interesting. But I couldn't help. I was in like a private hell. The whole ride to Manhattan because I'm like, what was that? What was that and why? And how miserable I was. And I couldn't think of one positive thing that was going to happen in Manhattan once I got there. Mm -hmm. So I was now going to dread the whole 14 hours, right? So I know what it feels like to lose a lot, especially your health, especially your mind, your identity all the work you've put into something, those are all losses. So when I think of grief, I don't think of grief as somebody died. There's that. That's only a sliver of grief. However, I'm just going to kind of talk a little bit more about, you know, I still had massage because I was working massage and corporate all at the same time. But I didn't work, I didn't burn out because of having two jobs. Mm -hmm. I burned out because I couldn't cope with trying to please so many people who all have like, it's, you know, imagine if you're the only cook in a 5,000 uh, person restaurant <laughs> and everybody wants something different and a side of something else. To going back to the point you made earlier about people pleasing and also not wanting to inconvenience the person next to you as you're having a horrible panic attack and you feel like maybe you need emergency help, you know, you're at the bottom of the, you know, you're at the bottom of your, or your lowest point. If, if that's where your mind goes. And I think women in particular, I think we, we bear the burden of people pleasing often and I think it just comes with the territory, to be honest with you. I, I, I don't know why that is. Um, and that's not to say that, that, that men don't experience it, but I have never known a woman that at some point in her life wasn't at the breaking point from trying to please everyone around her. So like, and I, and I, I'm interested to hear more about like how you ultimately had that epiphany. I left corporate. I was doing massage. But I was so exhausted, Lisa, I was so exhausted that I couldn't even go to the spa. I was just dragging. And I remember at one point in one of the trains thinking, oh, my God, the lights of New York City are just, um, I can't handle this much sensory stimulation. This is so much. I don't know what else to do. And luckily, I had a trip. So my dad lived in India at the time, and I had a three-month trip planned, uh, you know, uh, where I was going to go recover. My dad knew everything about what had happened. And I was like, I just can't handle this anymore. I need a place where I just don't have to be in corporate America again. So I went to India, I literally spent the first month staring at the wall, recovering. So recovery took a couple of years, because you know, recovering from burnout, um, there's different parts, there's different moving parts to it. So it's not like you can just say, Oh, you know, I took some time off, and now I'm okay. Uh, but when I transitioned, I left New York, I left corporate, I came to Chicago. 
and I reinvented myself as a massage professional 24-7. So I taught massage. I did massage. I completely moved out of human resources. I didn't want to have another corporate job ever. And in a way that was a very freeing experience because it was, you know, something I was like, wow, I don't think I've ever, I mean, I went through college and all this thinking I was going to climb every corporate rung of the ladder. (laughs) And here I am feeling a sense of freedom because I decided to leave and and go be my, my own self and true to myself. Um, so I, 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 w- I trained as a neuromuscular therapist. So I did a lot of like rehabilitative kind of work was really my, my genius, um, did that for a long time. Um, and then, uh, uh, in 2019, I was, I started to burn out again with massage. Cause I was like, man, there's only so many deep tissues you can do. Um, yes. and this was a, uh, sorry, not. 2019, 2018, fall of 2018, I had a client. She came to me and she said, um, I, I said, how can I help you today? And she said, I don't know how you can help me today because my daughter died two weeks ago. And I just was so stunned. I've never been stunned per se. Like people can tell me anything about anything and I can, but the way she said it to me, But I also believe, Lisa, that that was the moment of divine intervention. I feel something was put in front of me and stunned me enough that it caught my attention. So I looked at this woman. I said, okay, well, uh, all right. Well, you know, I asked her to go face down. So I stepped out of the room, let her go face down. When I came back, I thought, okay, I'm going to have to reach somewhere within my soul to make something happen for this woman to feel better. And it wasn't my massage skills. It wasn't the deep tissue skills. It wasn't anything I had learned in school, but it was something that I knew from being a very spiritual person. I knew I was going to have to tap into that spiritual side to come up with something so she could feel better. So I did the best I could. And then she didn't say anything to me the whole treatment, which was okay. But when she got off the table, she looked completely different. And she said, thank you so much. I mean, that was the best massage. And I thought, okay, if that helped you, then great. Because, uh, all right, it wasn't neuromuscular therapy or Swedish or any of these things we know. Um, And I told her, I said, please come back in two to three weeks. But that's just my recommendation. If you want to come back in the next two days, that's okay, too. But just, you know, worst case scenario, don't wait another six months, like come back in like another two to three weeks. She came back in three weeks. She said, please do what you did. And I was thinking, I don't know what I did, but I'm sure my soul remembers. I'll go tap into my soul again and see what it has to say. So when I did this massage, the same thing the second time, um, she turned over and gave me the entire story of how her daughter had passed away. And I believe that was her emotional release. Now, an emotional release, when people on the table can come in the form of crying, laughing, uh, twitching, burping, uh, passing gas, anything can be an emotional release. But in her situation, she literally started talking nonstop and told me everything and said, you know, thank you so much. And that was the end of 2018 and 2019 started with deaths around me, a lot of deaths around me to where I was writing two to three condolence messages a week, a week. And I was just wondering, like, what am I supposed to learn from this? I was also burning out with massage and I'm thinking, I I don't know what else to do. My friends are hurting. So I had a business coach at the time who had also lost a lot of love, uh, of three loved ones all in a very short span of time. And she said to me, I would never have been able to get through this had I not had three massages a week. And once again, divine intervention, I just turned to her <laughs> and I said, yes, that's grief massage. And I 
kept thinking, uh, what is grief massage and where did that voice come from? Because I know that's not my, I, I, I didn't say that. I don't know who said that. So she turns to me and she says, is that a thing? And I was like, yeah, it's a thing. <laughs> so she turns around. I just and I made went, it up. Uh, I, I'm not kidding. I went to Google and I typed grief massage <laughs> because I was, you know, where do you go when you don't know anything? You go to Google. And I only found two places in the whole country that put out anything that said grief massage. So I frantically looked through their websites and I was like, is that what I did for this woman who had lost her daughter? Well, um, I believe also when you are meant to do something, it will touch your soul in a way that one will catch your attention and two will, will bring you to tears. And so I talked to my best, one of my best friends who knows me really well. And I told her this idea about grief massage and I start sobbing on the phone and I'm thinking, oh my God, like, what is this? And she says, okay, well, how do you feel now? And I said, I feel I'm meant to do this. She goes, okay, well then it's resolved. And I was like, no, it's not <laughs> because now what, now where do I go? There's no classes. Like, what do I do? So I immersed myself in everything grief, I made a decision that this was going to be my life's path going forth. I was going to do grief massage, however, I figured it out. But I also felt I needed to understand grief a little more. So I went to LinkedIn and I talked to as many people as I could find who had the word grief in their title. I didn't care if they were counselors, I didn't care if they were pastors, I didn't care if they were doctors. I just contacted a lot of people and I told them that. I was a grief massage therapist, so I owned it from the beginning. And they said, oh, what does a grief massage therapist do? And I would say, you know, uh, it helps the body go from a place of real fight or flight, and it helps the body switch to a place of peace and calm. And I believe that in peace and calm is where hope is, and where hope is is where healing is. And not one of them disagreed with me. And they said, where have you been? And how did you just show up? And I was like, well, I can't speak for anybody else, but this is what I'm doing. So write my name down. <laughs> so I, um, I, you know, well, so I'm in this, I'm in, or have been in the same field and um, I've received all kinds of body work. And, um, and, in, and when I was in massage school, you know, there was a lot of, um, intention setting and energetic things. And, um, I think we all as practitioners developed our own style and approach to massage therapy, but generally speaking, we were calling the things, the things that would, you know, they, the Swedish massage, deep tissue massage, hot stone massage, myofascial work, whatever the, you know, many modalities. Modality. Are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's many modalities and that, that are, available to people to take continuing education, but also that you learn in massage school. Um, so I, I'm interested to understand, like, obviously it's something that is truly coming from your, you know, your inner wisdom and it came right out of your mouth to your own point. And that I, you know, those that believe in God might, might say that that was like literal divine intervention, like that, that, um, that God or some version of God is speaking through you. Um, and so I'm interested to hear like specifically what, what does it entail? And, um, how, how do you, how do you perform it? So it'll be a little difficult to explain because the one thing I have found about grief massage what I have realized is as humans, we tend to intellectualize everything. We want to understand everything in our head. And that is actually part of the problem. Uh, so I can explain it by giving you this context. Now you've been pregnant, you have a baby, you, you've had two children, right? So if I said, 
um, oh, when a pregnant woman is in her sixth month, you, you can immediately relate to that because you've been in that body. But let's say you hadn't been in that body. You would try to imagine what it's like to be in a six month of pregnancy, but you would never know. And even though we say, oh, everybody's experienced grief. What's interesting is people have not really understood or learned how to experience grief in their body consciously. So they will feel things, sensations like, you know, that ache, that uh, gripping sensation for some people, the churning in their stomach, they're, you know, uh, like they're about to throw up or something, right? The, that nauseous feeling. Some people feel a tightening of muscles around the shoulders. Some people have headaches. Other people can't get out of bed. They're so exhausted or depressed. Uh, so everybody experiences grief a little differently. But what happens is we try to give it too many labels. And when you start giving things labels and you start to intellectualize it, you miss out the whole meaning of grief. Grief is to be felt. It's not to be intellectualized. Mm. So until, you know, you come into a space. Now, let's say you had a reason to get a grief massage and you came into my space. I would first have a conversation with you, just ask you how you're feeling ask you your story because this is the thing about grief. It's not about the massage. It is never about the massage. It is about the space you hold for that person to feel grief in their body. Lucky for me, I can um, enhance that relief with my hands and not by just using my brain through psychotherapy. Yeah. So psychotherapy has a place, but this is why it can't work alone. It's because the brain does not know how to feel. The body doesn't know how to think. So you can express your grief in words, but you have to feel it in your body. Now, when someone experiences grief, the, the pangs of grief are so painful and so uh, overwhelming that people start to search in their brain. There must be a solution. Let me Google it. Let me like talk to somebody. Let me something, something, right? But the brain does two things. It either goes back into its history of experiences and says, oh, it's, it's in the second drawer. Let me pull it out. So it has experiences and can have recall. Or it predicts the future. It doesn't really know how to be in the present. So you have to consciously be in the present, like either through breath or something involving the body. So when a person tries to intellectualize grief, the brain doesn't know how to solve the body's problem. So the person is now scared to be in their body because of all these sensations. So what massage does, grief massage, allows the person to safely come back into their body through a modality, through a method that has the brain knows is calming. Because who doesn't know massage is calming, right? Everybody knows a massage is calming. Unless it's a re like a sports massage or something. But for the most part, what do people do when they're stressed? Oh, I'm going to go get a massage, right? Or I'm going to take a nap or something that is familiar. So now you're taking something that's familiar so that you can bring down that animal brain, that fight or flight mechanism. Now you're using your hands and certain techniques that slow down the brain. So the brain can do a switch over to the rest and digest. So instead um, of fight or flight. Yeah. That, I mean, it's like the parasympathetic nervous system, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. So how would you say, so are you more inclined to get a client come to you who says, 
listen, I'm experiencing some level of grief and I feel like I need whatever I Googled you and you're the therapist that came up. Or is this something that, you know, somebody comes to you because I, there's so many, because it is an emotion and it's a very complex emotion. Right. And, um, I mean, if you intellectualize grief, there's all the stages of grief. And at what point are you angry? At what point are you like, you know, right. So this what's the six stages of grief. Um, so do you find yourself, um, aiming to deliver this service to somebody who may not have intended to come to see you because of it, like your first client. Um, I don't know that, right. Cause she told you that her daughter had passed away, but she hadn't looked you up as a grief therapist, or is it something that you think some people will intentionally seek out? That's such a great question. This is what's happened in my experience. I've had both. So I've had people seek me out because they know and my friends tell friends. So people have said, oh, I know this perfect person who does grief massage and you should go see her. So someone may have a situation of grief. Now, I just want to take a quick moment to define grief as to how I teach it and how I work with it. Mm -hmm. So grief is a loss of attachment to something we love. And it could be a person, pet, possession, lifestyle, or identity. So you have to have some sort of attachment to something you loved. You will not grieve over something you didn't have any emotion or attachment to, right? So your, your, whether it's your grandmother's uh, necklace that you lost in the subway or it's the houses that burned in California or somebody lost their pet, you know, and, and loss can be a single loss or it could be multiple losses. It could be someone like I came across in one of the support groups. I was talking to this woman who had lost her husband, her son, her brother, her dog, and her house all in the span of a year and a half. Oh, my dear. So these are multiple losses. And now if every, with every loss, if you haven't done, done some kind of resolution or the timing is very short, that complicates each future loss. So with every future loss, you already are not coping well. So now you're further not coping well and you're further not coping well. So it takes a toll on your body. Now, while we can give this definition, this definition is so that people can, once again, in their brain, understand the different ways, right? We could experience loss and how we cope. But in the body, we only have the fight or flight mechanism or the rest and digest mechanism. So the nervous system is the one that absorbs and processes grief. And it has only two, on or off. And you cannot, it's not a dimmer switch. You can't say, well, I'm kind of sort of fight or flight and kind of sort of rest and digest. That's just not how it works. You either are one or the other. Mm -hmm. And so grief massage literally is a way to switch the nervous system. So no matter what the person's context is, my job is to just flip one switch. So you are, regardless of the rationale or the reason, I mean, I think the end result is to stop the fight or flight because when you're in that phase, right? The cortisol and the stress, like all of the other emotions. And when I think about grief, grief is so complex because it's made up of, it's almost made up of a bunch of other emotions, right? And yes, it does. Yeah. It does have other emotions. Yes. Yes. So that's and, and I will kind of, I'll, I'll give you kind of some of them. Mm -hmm. So there's anger, shame, resentment, fear, sadness, regret. These are six common ones. There may be others, but these are six common ones mm -hmm. that sort of fall under that 
umbrella of grief. Sometimes there can be two at play at a time. Sometimes one is at play or one may lead to the other. Okay. And I'll tell you, I had a client who uh, came to me a month after her husband had passed away in her arms. And he even knew why he was dying. He was dying because of a doctor's error in his care. And he said, I wish I had never gone to that doctor. And then he passed away in her arms. Okay. She didn't cry. And her friend came to me and said, I think my friend needs to see you because she's not crying. Her husband just passed away. Shouldn't she be crying? (laughs) And I said, no, she doesn't have to. That's her, whatever she expresses as grief is her expression. There is no one size fits all way to process grief. She said, well, I still think my friend needs to come see you. And I said, okay, well, fair enough. So the friend came in and when we went through the intake, I just, you know, one of the things that I teach massage therapists, because I do teach grief massage as well. One of the things I teach them is always ask the person their story, because the thing about grief, in order to heal grief, grief has to be witnessed in order to heal. You can't suppress it and expect it to heal. So you have to share your story, the vulnerability, and it's almost like you have to go through the motions and allow it to be witnessed. And now grief starts to heal. All right. So it's just a grief process. When you say so witness, when I'm, this, I'm sorry, I didn't, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but what, sure. when you say witnessed, um, do you mean like physically somebody needs to see you go through this or that it means it has to come out of you in some way? Both. Okay. So Both. It's, it's, so I, I can't but do mostly, it alone. Correct. I mean, because the thing is, it's usually a sense of, you know, um, I think the best metaphor I can give you is you could cry and feel better, but what if your best friend was sitting next to you and could soothe you and hold space for you? Mm-hmm. It's a whole different kind of ex- uh, experience. You see what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so it has to be witnessed, meaning uh, a, a, a counsel- <clears throat> excuse me, a counselor, a friend, a spouse, uh, a bestie, or you know, whoever, pastor, uh, anybody can be your witness. Meaning, they're holding space for you in your vulnerability, and they're allowing you to throb your, ch- uh, you know, bang your chest, fall on the floor, express your grief. However, without judgment, without any kind of condition right? So this is a witnessing of grief. Now, when this client came to me and she wasn't crying, so I asked her uh, her story, how she felt, what happened. And, and I didn't ask with the intention of like digging. It was just a, tell me what you feel like telling me. So you give them the permission, right? So they take it from there. You're not inquiring or being snoopy or whatever. Um, So I asked her and she said, um, I don't know how this is going to go. You know, I explained grief massage because I think people have this impression grief massage means you're going to come lay on the table. I'm going to massage you and you're going to cry and cry and it's going to be miserable and you're going to relive everything. And that is absolutely not the case. It's actually a very calm, soothing, comforting treatment. So when she got off the table, I tell people, you're either going to have maybe an emotional release on the table. You may have it when you get off the table. You may get it. You may have one on the way home. It may take a few days. It may take a month. I don't know. The body processes when it wants to process and how it wants to process. So I give them different ways to look at this so that they're not thinking, well, when is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? Right. So that's not, that's not top of mind. They're just kind of like, eh, it could be tomorrow. It could be today. Who knows? But when she got off the table, she actually teared up and she said, do you know, this is the first time I think I could cry. I said, okay, well, what do you think is different? Um, and she said, well, I'm just so angry with my husband because he left me in debt. So now her anger, even though she wasn't aware of it, 
had sort of put her in this place where she was so angry and that's what her head was ruminating around along with how he passed away because of the doctor's error. So she had all this other stuff going on. So crying was not really her. She was in survival. She was like, how am I supposed to cope with all this and the debt and all this other stuff? So the fact that she was able to calm down and stop her brain enough to switch to rest and digest from a fight or flight nervous system, put her in a very different place. Yeah. And she came back and she actually did really well. Um, she came back for quite a few treatments and she did really well. Uh, she certainly missed her husband, but that's the mourning phase. She was not suffering. And that is the whole premise of grief wellness that I do, which is also inclusive of nutrition and lifestyle that supports grief. I look at each person's health profile, right? So I look at it from a perspective of when I'm in my scope of massage therapy, I look at their profile in one way. And then when I'm in my scope of health coaching, I look at their profile in a different way. So I don't really, when a person comes in for massage, I'm not giving them nutrition advice because I don't really give nutrition advice in the first place, but I don't really talk about nutrition and stuff because I don't know their health profile unless they say, hey, I want to hire you as a health coach as well as massage therapist. Now I have permission to go into um, that scope of practice and do what I need to do, right? So uh, looking at what foods or, or first of all, looking at what is their health profile? Because you see grief can do a number of things on people's health conditions, if people have sugar imbalances, for example, it will exacerbate that. If someone has blood pressure issues, it'll exacerbate that. If someone has autoimmune conditions, there'll be a flare-up. If so, because the body is trying to cope, right? And meanwhile, we're running up into our heads going, solve the problem, solve the problem. <laughs> and it's not working that way. Mm -hmm. So the first thing you have to do is you have to calm the body down and be able and so that it can do its normal things, even if it's doing it in a diabetic paradigm or even if it's doing it in a heart condition paradigm, you still have to let it go back to its normal. Right. And stress doesn't let them do that. Stress kind of creates so many different kinds of internal inflammation. It's just like a house on fire. So that's why bringing the person into their body where they feel safe, where they can no longer feel threatened by these sensations that are painful. Now the body, you know, can do what it's supposed to do. Now they can kind of go back to whatever their regular medication was or whatever their thing was before the grief event. Well, it allows them to focus on mourning. You see, most people understand grief as this time that you're going to feel the worst, you're not going to be able to sleep, you're not going to be able to eat, uh, alongside missing the thing that has been taken away from you. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to suffer. Suffering is, as I call it, suffering is optional. Because when you decide not to do something, now there are people and crazy as it sounds, there are people that will hang on to the, the pain and suffering of it because they feel like, you know, like survivor guilt or they feel unworthy of not suffering. Those are different issues that have to be dealt with. But in a very, you know, in keeping things simple, because grief is complicated, we don't need to complicate it further, but in keeping things simple, when you take care of the body, you take care of a lot of suffering, meaning you don't have to be sleepless. You don't have to not have an appetite. You don't have to have blood sugar imbalances. You don't have to feel exhausted. So allowing yourself to take care of these things allows your body to heal. When your body heals, 
and you're not feeling sick and you're not in suffering, now you can sit there and hold this event in a much in a place where you can kind of think a little more rationally, uh, a little less blaming, a little less shaming. Your anger can kind of be uh, modulated a little bit. So you're not swinging all over the place with your emotions. Yeah. I, I, so in this episode, we're talking, I was talking about my, um, my friend Heather and she, she lost her brother about 10 months before she died. And we were speaking infrequently during that, those 10 months. Um, she just really, I think, um, what I heard from her and the conversations that we had and in the messages that we exchanged is that she was so angry. Like mm -hmm. she was really stuck in that phase of being angry. And I mean, and, and it, I could feel it through the phone, right? And I could hear the trembling in her voice and, you know, having known her voice for uh, almost two decades, I, I knew the sound of just, just tenseness and, or, you know, tightness. And it was hard. It was hard not knowing what to say to her and a side right? She's a massage therapist or had been a massage therapist previously. And, um, she wasn't practicing anymore, but she was somebody that would use massage to help her cope and heal and, um, feel better about life and about herself. And she struggled for, for a long time about many issues. And, and so she was, she had been depressed. And then after the passing of her brother, she just never came out of that, loop. Like, I, I think I even remember her describing it as being stuck in a loop and mm -hmm. not being able to yep. get out of it. And then she mm -hmm. died. And I, you know, part of me has, it was the, I hadn't had many, I had, I've had many of the small experiences as you discuss, I call them small because they're, they were not related to death, but, but maybe not small, maybe small is the wrong word. Um, grieving jobs and grieving um, mm -hmm. you know, even, mm -hmm. even at end of a, of a French, a friendship because we moved away or just that kind of thing or relationships. Um, but I hadn't really had a whole lot of death in my life, not of anyone that was meaningful to me. And mm. when she died, I, it hit me really hard and I cried for days. I not all day, every day, but I cried because I could, it was the, she was the first person that I, I remember just, I can, I could keep hearing her voice over and over again in my, and you know, when I closed my eyes and I was, I was just mad that I couldn't see her anymore. And that I didn't, maybe I didn't say the right thing to her. And I had sent her a message the night before she died or within hours before she died. And I always wondered if she saw it. And I had all these questions in my mind and I really experienced my own grief for the first time, like uh, uh, losing a person. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in retrospect, now I think that she, I feel like she died of grief. I don't know if that's something that is possible, but she, I mean, she, she ultimately, she fell. Um, but I feel like she was in that state of grief for so long because she didn't find a home for it and didn't release it and couldn't let it go. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what, for me, this conversation is important. And I hope that somebody hearing will, will hear that, that you have to process that you have to deal with it. You have to find a way of maybe having it be witnessed, um, to your earlier point, um, in order to let it go. You do. And, uh, there, you know, I, I do want to put it out there when we say you have to process it, right. People get, uh, so the grievers often get told things like, well, aren't you over it now? Oh, 
like it's six months later, are you still thinking about it? Like, you know, um, because I'll tell you why that happens. It's because we are very uncomfortable around grief. So when someone is in grief, we project our discomfort onto somebody else and make them feel like they should have moved on, like, come on already, right? Mm. Uh, because we're uncomfortable. Because if you look at the people who've experienced deep grief, they're not the people who will come and say, come on already, let's go. It's the people that haven't or aren't comfortable in their own grief or in their own negative emotions, because these are negative emotions you have to process. You're not processing joy. You're not processing exhilaration. You're processing some really heavy, heavy emotions on the negative scale. And a lot of people do a lot of avoidance, distractions. So now when someone's sitting there in front of you in a grief space, you're 100% uncomfortable. And so when people say that, I want to make sure that people really understand you, you um, mourning has no timeline. That's why I like to separate the two. Mm, that's a really good point. Yeah. And you I know I, suffering, you don't have to suffer forever. You what would you say things. to what would you say to somebody who who isn't comfortable with somebody who is grieving? And what can somebody do to help hold space for the person who's grieving and it um and and maybe like release some of their own discomfort? One of the things I teach clients and I talk about, and this has been my personal experience, is to find your support people ahead of time. So uh, it's, it's like this. You would not want to get on a plane where the pilot doesn't know how to disaster recover a plane. You want to know that there's some, some manual or some procedure ahead of time. And I believe grief is very similar. We have to find our support people ahead of time. And they are not necessarily our besties. They are not necessarily our spouses. They are not necessarily our siblings, our parents, grandparents, none of that. Because these people may be in our circle but they may not be comfortable with the emotion of grief. So ahead of time, so my dad passed away last year before the pandemic began. And I followed my own advice. And I have in my back pocket two or three people that are unconditional, that have the wherewithal, that are not uncomfortable with grief because they've been through tremendous amounts. Those are my people. So when my dad passed away, I was more than okay in terms of having support because the people around me weren't my support. My identified people were my support. Mm. So I could have my grief witnessed with no problems. Well, so I always tell people, you know, it's not about having, you know, because people will say, especially for example, um, if you have a spouse that say has Alzheimer's, right. And you have what we call anticipated grief, anticipatory grief, you know, the person's not coming back from that, but they're not, uh, they're still alive, um, in, in your trying to keep it going with this person. Right. So during that time, you need to have someone that you can talk to. And other family members may not understand what your day-to-day -day with this person with Alzheimer's is like. So you have to find the people. Right. That's a, I think that's something that is often mistaken, right? You, because having an expectation of, say, your best friend or your coworker or your parent or your child or whoever, that they're going to be the person simply because they're the person that you left with a lot and maybe take vacations mm -hmm. with, or yeah. that they're also going to be the person that's able to help you. To, and it's not necessarily a shortcoming on their part. No, it's not. It's just not maybe part of their DNA or part of who they are. It, they may not have ever processed their own grief, even though they may have 
had situations or events of grief, they may not have learned how to emotionally regulate Mm -hmm. and how to process it and how to resolve it. Uh, And so they're just unable to help you. Yeah, right. It's it's not, it's not that they don't want to, it's not that they, it's just that Right. Like anything else, like you wouldn't go to an auto mechanic if you needed heart surgery. So, you know, find the, find the appropriate person and, and then lean in as necessary. Um, Correct. Correct. So I, I have a last question. It's a two part question. Um, Okay. So how, how would, what would one expect if they're coming for a grief massage and how, where do they go to get one? Oh, good questions. What can they expect? So the first thing they can expect is to feel better. I can say uh, very confidently with two years of grief massage under my belt in so many different scenarios, I have yet to find somebody who said, oh, that was the worst experience ever. I will never come back again. That was horrible. In fact, the one thing I hear consistently is what a relief. I never, I actually massaged somebody over the weekend. Yes. What's today? Sunday. Yeah. Yesterday, an 80 year old man who has known grief from the age of two, he has lost his whole family. He carried around so much guilt around his mother's health and her passing. And really has nobody to lean on, on on any level. Now he has an amazing spouse and family. So that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about his, his immediate family, right? Not the spousal family. Um, Like no parent, no grandparent, no sibling, none of that. And uh, he also has a lot of health problems. And this is why I say it manifests in your body. So I'm not saying that every person who has diabetes has some grief they're carrying around. But what I'm saying is uh, sometimes when I go look at a person's profile and all the stuff they have going, I look at where they're holding grief. And I ask them, I've asked them, like, where do you feel your grief? And they'll say something that is so identical to the health condition they're carrying around. So in this guy's condition, in this guy's situation, his doctor probed a little and had the sensibility to say, I think a lot of it is grief. He had never even attributed any of it to grief. He has a litany of problems, right? So when he came in for his massage yesterday, uh, I told him, I said, when you come in, um, we're just going to talk a little bit. Um, I allowed him to tell me his story. Uh, It wasn't long. It was just sort of like recapping some things he had already told me. And then I said, okay, well, um, I gave him the same spiel. You know, you may feel something on the table. You may feel something off the table. You may feel it on the way home. And he's had other therapy sessions and stuff. So he's familiar with that. So he was like, oh, okay. But when he got off the table, not only did he look different, he said, the first thing he said was, what a relief that is. I've carried around survivor's guilt for so long. I don't, and this is not the first time I've heard this. So what I, what I want our listeners to be able to understand is, you know, how, how do you approach the session? And tactically speaking, is there anything that differentiates the massage from a different massage? Or is it simply knowing and understanding and compassion that goes along with the training that there is a lot of understanding and compassion. And also I teach massage therapists to self heal first, you cannot help somebody uh, heal or help their grief when you are not emotionally 100%. So I teach massage therapists that it is their responsibility to do everything they can to uncover and resolve their past griefs. And I show them how to identify it and how to stay in their scope of practice and how to do this in their own time as part of their self-care. So when they come in, they're not coming in with baggage. 
Okay, so that's one thing. So as a client, when a person comes in, I explain to them that we're going to do, first of all, I help them identify. So go through something called body scanning, and they identify where in their body they feel their discomfort or unease or uh, pangs of guilt or grief or pain or whatever it is they want to call it. Where are they feeling it? And different people, literally people have given me all kinds of body parts. It's in my neck. It's in my shoulders. It's in my small of my back. It's in my hips. It's in my ankles. Uh, so there's no one body part that quote unquote holds grief. I also use an emotional chart. It's called an emotional pain chart. And it allows me to, when someone says something about where it hurts, I can go to the emotional pain chart and see where the emotion is locked in. Then when they get on the table, I let them know that what they're going to feel, because, you know, people have had massages before. Uh, many have had, not everybody. Uh, sometimes grief massage is their first massage, right? So I let them know that they're going to feel, especially if they've had a massage before, I let them know that this is not like a sports massage or deep tissue. In fact, it's very gentle. It's very slow. And it is in while a regular person listening to it that is not in a space of grief may kind of go, man, I don't want to, why would I want to get a grief massage? When you use the exact same description to a person who's hurting, for example, like my client yesterday, he couldn't get on that table fast enough. I want to get on the table right now. I'm not <laughs> Come kidding. on over. I mean, it actually sounds, I, I, I've had a number of things happening, but it sounds like something I could benefit from. And I want to say, just to rewind for two seconds, you, I think you nailed it on the first part with the training and the therapist. And because the wrong therapist doing this work can, I would imagine, make it worse to really facilitate someone else's healing, you also have to heal yourself. And I think that was a really strong point to make about who Well, might, I do teach might. it as part of the massage therapy ethics class. So they do have an ethics class that they learn exactly how to stay in the scope of practice because they're not going to go out there and counsel people on grief. That's not sure. our job. Sure. So they have to stay in scope of practice, but they also have to learn how to, um, like they would never go out and massage somebody if they've got a big uh, cut on their hand, right? You would put a covering on your hand to make sure your hand is okay, or you wouldn't massage one of the two. So emotionally, if you have a cut, you either got to heal that cut, or you got to find a way that it is not going to get in the way of your massage. Mm, I like that analogy. That's good. Uh, so for now, there's a couple of things. Um, I actually just got approval to start teaching massage therapists around the country. So I am doing my part in trying to create more and more massage therapists. So for now, if someone types in grief massage, the pickings are very, 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 very slim. Because I think massage therapists are also scared that they're going to hurt somebody rather than help somebody. So they have to kind of, they feel like I got to take a class or something. Fine. So what I tell people is the closest thing to a grief massage, even though it's not a grief massage, is probably hospice massage. So if you can find a therapist that does hospice massage, possibly it could overlap. But if someone really, like when I'm in these Facebook groups and I hear someone's hurting, and they're like, my so-and-so passed away, or, you know, it's been three years since this person left, and I'm still struggling. The first thing <laughs> I have started saying in these groups is, go get a massage, go get a massage, go get a massage. Because honestly, even if people went and got a relaxation massage, not exactly grief massage, but it'll kind of do the job. I'm I'm just super excited to that you can be offering this to others um, to me too enhance their own practices, and really not for for the many 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 people that need something like this in their life and and may have had a massage or a good experience or a bad mas experience, but 
not necessarily have it being something that's not only going to heal, you know, adhesions in the, in the muscles, but also heal their soul. And I think this is a critical, um, part of, of life and everyone is going to have to deal with grief at some point or another, or already is, and, and can use that outlet and use the release that you are, um, educating people how to offer and you doing yourself. So I'm so excited for you. I'm really I'm proud of you. I can't be proud of you. I'm not your mom. <laughs> I'm not you, but like, it's exciting, you know, like, it is yeah. exciting, you know, because my mission really, since I finally feel like I have a sense of understanding about grief in the body is my mission is to really educate people about the body, about grief in the body and healing that because once they do that, you know, as much as hurt people, hurt people, healed people, heal people. Mm. Ooh. And I yeah. want that ripple effect of healed people going out and holding space for other people, not bashing them and tearing them down and saying, yeah, how long are you going to do this? And all this other nonsense. If anything, it inspires other people to say, where did you go get that? How did you heal yourself? I need to do that too. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Meralda, thanks for talking with me. And I look forward to a coming soon in a, uh, in a spa near me. Great me person. too. Thanks mm -hmm. so much for talking to me about this, Lisa. This was so great. Thank you. Uh, it was awesome for me too. Thanks, Meralda. Thank you for listening to The Story Attic. If you're enjoying our show, don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, hashtag The Story Attic. If you're not enjoying our show, don't tell a soul. Catch you next time. And until then, remember to be kind, be real, lean in and be fearless. Sometimes when I think back on every little thing I can say exactly where I've been To the brink and back again I've reached the end to begin Through the glass the future's clear Beyond the doubts in spite of fears Pushing past all the tears Breathing in the days and years It's time to break through the roof And put the past behind To live the dreams are stored away In the attic of my mind The attic of my mind Memories washing over me Little pieces adrift, I'd say Some weathered hats, some shimmering Together bound, together free It's time to break through the roof And put the past behind To the dreams are stowed away In the attic of my mind it's time to break through the roof And put the past behind To the dreams are stored away In the attic of my mind The attic of my mind The attic of my mind